0: Top ten takeaways, yes. Four games. So hopefully we can get to ten takeaways from the four games. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we'll have more than that. A lot of a lot of interesting takeaways. We 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 can start with the Saturday games, the inferior teams, because if you look at the advanced metrics, DVOA and, and you know the the efficiency of the offenses and defenses, and you roll it up, all the best teams were playing on Sunday. I know that the one seeds were technically playing on Saturday, but the NFL schedulers knew. They're like, listen, we, we the best teams are here. Okay, they're <laughs> Rams playing the Bucks, and it's the Bills playing the Chiefs. Those are the best teams. When you look at the opposing defenses, when you look at the quarterback play, when you look at pass protection, those teams had just the best numbers. Across the board in the advanced efficiency metrics for offense and defense, and we talked about it. The Bills have the fewest weaknesses of all the NFL teams, but they went on the road, and that that was the difference, right? And the Rams, the Rams are the other team that have the 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 least amount of weakness, and and that's who I uh, you know would have expected to face off in the Super Bowl once I saw Uh uh-oh, Packers are eliminated. I was thinking, okay, it's going to be Bills-Rams. Bills-Rams. And then the Bills lost. And it was just a a wild game. But before we get to that, we have Bengals-Titans. Joe Burrow has that it factor. He doesn't have a particularly strong arm. He's not a super athlete. He had to transfer and... Once he got to LSU, someone at LSU realized, oh, this guy has it, whatever that it is. And the reason why I, I never understood how anyone could be picking the Tennessee Titans to go to the Super Bowl is that they have this glaring weakness, that they have a weak secondary, that they, their corners are bad. Their defensive backs are below average and that if you had to pick a, a stack, right, it would be Joe Burrow with Chase and Higgins against those corners. And then sure enough, Chase goes over 100 yards. Higgins, close to 100 yards. So between them, they averaged 100 yards and no touchdowns. So that was, that was the thing. There was no, it was a low-scoring game, but they still won. They still won. Joe Mixon got there. Joe Mixon got there with the receptions. Didn't get there with the, the rushing yards, but he had seven targets. I mean, Joe Mixon. Is in his prime. I know he's past the age apex technically, but he had low usage in college because he was sharing the backfield at Oklahoma with Samaj A. P. Ryan. And then he was a satellite back in the NFL for the first few years. So he is like Derrick Henry in that they were lightly used in their first couple years. So even though they're past the age apex, Mixon and Henry still have a couple good years left where they can be top 10. Fantasy running backs. And it was interesting to see Dante Foreman rush for more yards than Derrick Henry on one fifth the number of rush attempts. And Dante Foreman, again, looked explosive. I mean, he looks more and more explosive every single week. He's just confident. And I'd like to see him go somewhere else and uh, have, have a big impact somewhere. A.J. Brown is special. It was great to see that, that Sonic Truth show I did with Nate Liz. Where I made sure to plant a flag on A.J. Brown and said, listen, what A.J. Brown did, especially in his rookie year in the NFL before the knee injury cut short his sophomore season and then affected him, I think, nullified his offseason training regimen. And, you know, I think that it's been a a couple challenging seasons because of that knee for A.J. Brown. And in year four, It's going to be absolutely on for A.J. Brown. So get ready for it. Get ready for it. And the beauty is, this game will not count in the season stats. Right? This is a playoff game. So the playoff game doesn't get factored into where A.J. Brown ranked in fantasy football. And all these projections and all these rankings that are going to come out in the next few months are not going to factor this game in. But we all saw this game. A game in which... Julio Jones played, and A.J. Brown was a complete monster. A.J. Brown wins everywhere. So he wins in the corner of the end zone with a one-hand catch. He wins the line of scrimmage, squeezing the football, hands catching, and then breaking tackles. He wins everywhere. You love to see that. You absolutely love to see that. And I mentioned on that Sonic Truth show, A.J. Brown's 20-plus yards per reception in his rookie year in the NFL, again, before he was sidetracked by this knee injury for two consecutive years, five catches, 142 yards. That's 28 yards of reception. Right? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's AJ Brown. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Is he in the same tier as Jamar Chase? No, no, he's not. And uh, I felt bad for Nick westbrook Kikine. He's just that's he's not good enough. Right? He couldn't rise up and uh, prevent. Uh, defender from getting in there, like he just—you could see, like another wide receiver would have come to the football and 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 fought. That's not Nick westbrook akine That's not his. That's not his game. That's just the difference. When you see an AJ Brown, when you see a Jamar Chase, the things they can do, even before the the ball arrives, the way they can position their body, the way that they can catch the ball with their hands out away from the defender and shield the football from defenders. It's just an art form. It's just an art form to watch a Jamar Chase, to watch an A.J. Brown go out and work. And so that was a great pleasure. And it was, just, it, was, it was great to see the Tennessee Titans get eliminated because they never should have been the one seed in the first place. This was a, a, an even match between the Bengals and the Titans, and sure enough, it was nineteen sixteen. But now we get to see the Bengals, which have a much better offense, because their offense is pass-oriented now, where the Tennessee Titans still run-oriented. They still ran Derrick Henry 20 fucking times for three yards of carry. Was that a good idea? No. Problem is, when you, you throw uh, with Ryan Tannehill, and he's getting picked off three times, uh, that, that, that wasn't a good idea either. So they, just didn't, they didn't have many good choices. We run the ball, or we throw with Tannehill, we take our chances. The Bengals' defense... Is improving because so they're intercepting Tannehill three times. I'm fascinated. I think that and that's and the NFL does this right. They 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 do this. You're like, well, maybe the Bengals have a chance against the Chiefs. Their defense is getting better, and Joe Burrow is peaking, and they just the Bengals just beat him, right? They they beat him at the end of the year. I don't know. I don't know. This could happen. Maybe Stranger Things. The Bengals beat the Chiefs week 17, 34-31, came back to win. Chiefs were up 28-17 and blew it at Cincinnati, right? So at that was the key, see, at Cincinnati, at Cincinnati. But as we're seeing here, a lot of road teams winning, but the advantage for the road team is three points. The advantage for the home team is three points. That's it. It's not, it's not a great advantage. We've known this all along. It's like, it's, it's not a secret that it's not, a huge advantage to be at home. It's three points, right? And the advantage that home teams get is that they get calls based on the pressure from the crowd. It has an impact on the referees. It influences the referees. So there's going to be a call or two every game that goes to the home team that the road team would not get. That's it, right? It's the psychological effect of the crowd on the referees. That's the home field advantage. And it shakes out to about three points every game, so if you were to play on a neutral field, and the home team is getting a minus three, then those two teams are evenly matched, that's it, it's not a lot of points, it's just a field goal, it's like, oh, first of all, the best teams were not the number one seeds in the playoffs, and the home field advantage is not what so many in sports media think it is, even though uh, the betting lines reveal exactly what it is. It's just oh no, home the home the home field advantage yes yes home field advantage yes. So the Chiefs are are a better team and they're going to get a couple calls that the Bengals aren't going to get. I don't think that game is going to be particularly competitive. I know that we want it to be. I know we're hoping it is. The Bengals defense is getting better, but I still think the Chiefs roll. And I, I kind of I think I think the Rams are going to roll too. The Rams are awesome. The Rams had one of the most impressive overall team profiles uh, of any franchise in the playoffs. It really, it, and it, it came down to the, the Bucks and Rams. The Packers also have this you know, glaring flaw in their defense, just like the Tennessee Titans. So I, no one was surprised. I mean, maybe maybe some people were surprised. But I wasn't surprised to see the, the Packers lose. And then the question is going to be, What happens with Aaron Rodgers? He doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. There is a reason why the Packers drafted Jordan Love. There's some larger plan at work in Green Bay. And you would think that this is the end for Aaron Rodgers. Like, he went farther last year in the playoffs than he did this year, which is likely going to help convince the front office in Green Bay that they need to go in a different direction and and start – rebuilding this try to rebuild on the fly whatever it is not Aaron Rodgers and then the question is if Aaron Rodgers is gone do they extend Devontae Adams it's just it's it's, it's hard to believe that you wouldn't extend Devontae Adams it really depends on the Packers front office and what they think their competitive timeline is going to look like if they think they can compete in 2023 Well, then you keep Devontae Adams. He's going to be 30 in 2023. He's still going to be one of the dominant receivers in the league. You might as well extend him if they think they're not going to be competitive until 2024. Well, now he's in his early 30s. His best years are behind him. It's just it's a tricky thing to decide what to do. If you're going to lose Aaron Rodgers, what the hell is the point in bringing back Devontae Adams? Or you could say, well, we need Devontae Adams if we're going to develop Jordan Love. And have they seen enough from Jordan Love to feel like this is a a guy that we can trust to build around? We haven't seen enough of Jordan Love. Maybe they've seen enough in practice. Maybe there's been some throws in practice we haven't seen. But what we've seen from Jordan Love on the field has been gross. So I just, this is just fascinating. This is going to be the fascinating offseason story to what happens with Aaron Rodgers. What happens with Devontae Adams? What happens with this franchise? And it's perfect, right? It's so perfect for maximum intrigue because had the Packers won and at least made it as far as they made it last year, you could see much more of a justification to just run it back again in 2022. Just roll it over. We're so close. Let's roll it over. But to lose the first game you play in the playoffs and to take a step back, essentially, even though they were the one seed, now throws everything into question. I'm so happy that happened. I'm, I'm just thrilled that happened. Not because I wanted something bad to happen to Aaron Rodgers. I wanted him to lose. No, I'm not as bitter about the 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 Aaron Rodgers disrespecting Jeff Janis as I used to be. But uh, you couldn't make this up. I mean, how happy was Roger Goodell? Roger Goodell was thrilled. He went to bed last night with a smile on his face. Not just that we had the two best consecutive football games in any given day in NFL playoff history, but also that there's all this off-season intrigue with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. There's the ascension of a new franchise quarterback who can be the face of the league in Joe Burrow. That there's so much for Roger Goodell to be thankful for after this weekend. It's, it's incredible. And if you want to dig in more to this game, Brandon Ayuk, no receiving yards. That's not great, Bob. That, that's, that's not great. So uh, Brandon Ayuk, he has to feel something. His, 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 his lifetime value rating in Dynasty has to come down slightly because, again, these games happened. They're not going to show up in the season stats, and they're not going to show up as impacting fantasy performances. But it happened, right? He, he, he put up a bagel. He had a bagel game, and that's not great. And Elijah Mitchell looked good again, even though he wasn't necessarily that efficient. 17 carries, hoping for more against what is a run funnel defense in Green Bay. But to me, four targets. Four targets is always encouraging. Give me the four targets. Like I don't care as much about the yardage and the 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 rushing efficiency. Loved seeing the four targets though. San Francisco's Figured out their running game. They figured out their running If you're San Francisco, do you want to turn over your primary back every year? Why would you want that? Isn't it nice to have a stable primary back that you know is going to be your workhorse year in, year out? Don't the Bengals like having Joe Mixon and that certainty that Joe Mixon's our primary guy? Aren't the 49ers going to enjoy having Elijah Mitchell? And why would there be any question? Why would they go out and draft a running back on day one or two In 2022, I don't believe they're going to do that. There's no incentive for them to do that. But George Kittle was a machine. Looked great again. He's just awesome. It's just it's important because George Kittle's so volatile. He's the most volatile tight end in the league. And when he has consecutive subpar performances, when he underwhelms, it's just good when he comes out and he he reestablishes dominance. He reminds us, hey, don't forget, I'm one of, if not the most talented tight end in the league. Like if, if we're talking about the best all-around, hyper-versatile, playmaking tight end in the league, blocker, yak monster, and air yards commander down the field, down the seam, he does it all. He gets down the seam, he breaks tackles, he pancake blocks when he's asked to, would you want anyone but George Kittle if you were starting a franchise today? He's still young, still in his late 20s. He's awesome. What's going to happen? What's going to happen in Green Bay? I don't know. I, I'm fascinated to know what the hell's going to happen in Green Bay. Jimmy Garoppolo, 131 yards, no touchdowns, an interception, and he wins the game. Shame on the Packers for letting that happen. Shame I, ah, right. Just Those of us with Trey Lance, just be thankful. Be thankful that he didn't have some big boom performance. That would not be good, and, and we need to hope and pray that he underwhelms again, and he will. Don't worry. It's the Rams. It's the Rams. They're going to get to him. They're going to pressure him. Don't worry. Don't worry, Trey Lance fanatics. It's not going to be Garoppolo next year. He's not coming back. He's not. He's not. He can't. He won't. God, the Rams better beat the 49ers, and we got to hope Garoppolo looks Terrible. He will. He will. There's not a question. He will. It's not a debate. He will. Rams Buccaneers. Okay. Rams Buccaneers. This was amazing. I can't believe this happened this way where Cam Akers had two fumbles that no one is going to remember and care about. I mean, you'll be able to count on one hand, not even like one or two instances, three at most, of fantasy gamers reminding anybody about those two fumbles. No one's going to care. No one's going to care. Because they won. Had they lost, maybe there might be this doubt about, oh, can they trust Cam Akers? Right? Did he pull a Ronald Jones? But they won. You could see the look on his face. The look on Cam Akers' face after the game was like, oh, man. Oh, man. You guys. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Cooper and, and, and Matt. Oh, man. I was in trouble there. Whew. You were, buddy. You were. You were. That was going to be bad. Even though one of me landed on his head. Like, he got dropped on his head. Couldn't blame him for fumbling there. This was the easiest bet. It was Tampa minus three. As soon as we learned that Tristan Wirfs was out, you had to pound the Rams. Tristan Wirfs is one of the key pieces of the Buccaneers' offense, and especially in this Rams matchup, that if they're going to put Aaron Donald out wide— You need Tristan Wirfs out there. If he's not, you're in trouble. You're in real trouble. And the the, the impact of Tristan Wirfs is actually much greater than Andrew Whitworth because Andrew Whitworth's old. Andrew Whitworth's not uh, nearly the impact player for his team that Tristan Wirfs is. And we saw it. We saw it in the outcome that Tom Brady had no time. He couldn't step up in the pocket. This was weird. This was weird. They had the best pass protection in the league by far and away. You look at protection rate on playerprofiler.com. Tom Brady was the ultimate clean jersey quarterback this year, and Tristan Wirfs was a big reason why. And so to lose him was huge, and for that to not affect the line was crazy to me. I didn't know if they think, oh well, Wirfs and Whitworth is you know balances out. Nah, man, nah, because it's the key to the Rams' defense is pressuring Tom Brady. And if you're going to lose Tristan Wirf's, it changes everything. It throws everything up in the air. So you just, you, you bet that. You bet that. Take the Rams plus three. That was easy. That was an easy bet as soon as the Wirf's news came out. I mean, if there's a podcast in America that respects the value and how much Tristan Wirf's means to the Buccaneers, it is this particular program. Leonard Fournette looked amazing. Leonard Fournette scoring that touchdown. It was fascinating because technically, and we've seen the the Patriots do this on a rare occasion, Leonard Fournette should have slid down at the one-foot yard line so that the Buccaneers could just milk the clock fully and not give Matthew Stafford a chance to come back. That is the move. You have two chances to sneak it in, game's over. That is the move, but in the moment, you want to score the touchdown! Who's going to do that? No one would ever do that, right? It is technically the optimal move to maximize win probability, but no one would ever do that. No one. No one in that situation, when you're in comeback mode and you've been down double digits and it looked like the game was lost on five different occasions and the Rams are just finding ways to give you the ball back, almost like it's the Truman Show, like it's being rigged from the, the studio. Choo the fumble. Like, we gotta get Tom Brady the to win here. Like, it would have been a conspiracy. How'd this happen? And then uh, no, no. Actually, they they gave Stafford just enough time and completely fucked up on multiple cases. So you can't blame Leonard Fournette for not going down at the one foot line. You can't. It would have been the best move, but you can't blame him for all those reasons we talked about. But you can blame the defensive coordinator for bringing a blitz. When you know the Rams are out of timeouts, you just want to keep the wide receivers in front of you and force them to run another play, to go down and do what Dak Prescott had to do, which is to get back to the line of scrimmage and spike the ball, and then they'd have to do a play where they get out of bounds with one second left. Instead, They brought a blitz and let them get a big play down the field to get into field goal range on one play. It didn't make sense. Why would you bring the blitz there? Why? Why? Even if you get to him, he can still just loft the ball. Why would he? Why? I couldn't believe it. I was like, they're blitzing? I mean, I like aggressive play calling from defensive coordinators. Oftentimes, they they fall back into that shell too much, too often. Too conservative. But I was like, no, 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 no. This is they, they, there's almost no time left and they don't have timeouts. You just you need to make them deliberately go down the field and string together plays. You can't let them get it in one big chunk. You can't do that. It's it's crazy. It's it was crazy. It was so brazen and crazy. It's like one of those things where we're so conditioned to NFL teams not taking enough chances and wishing they did. So often you're wishing that. The defenses would blitz instead of dropping into a uh, prevent defense and then letting the, the game slip away, because they went to the prevent defense. It's like, um, oh, if you just played your, your, your base defense and instead of getting out of what you do and do best, you would have won the game. But instead you dropped into this prevent and, 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 you, and you let them pick you apart. Don't do that. You shouldn't have kicked the field goal there. You shouldn't have punted there. Are there are all these, all these instances where these teams are they're still punting and kicking field goals when they shouldn't be. Right? Fourth and three, and your offense is rolling, and you're going to kick a field goal. Just shameful. Sean McVay, he's guilty. They're all guilty. They're all guilty. So when a team does something that's too aggressive, you're like, whoa, did that just happen? Yeah. It's, like, it's hard to even get your head around. You're like, wait a second. Instead of being too conservative, they were too aggressive there. That was just crazy. That was ludicrous level aggressive. So I, I I I did not understand that. That was just weird. And then to see the Rams execute was beautiful. Like it was it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful touch throw, beautiful route run, beautiful catch, beautiful everything. It was just gorgeous. It was you watch it and you're like, that was awesome. Like I wanted the Buccaneers to win. I like I'm a, I'm a I'm a lifelong Patriots fan, and I have an affinity for Tom Brady. I want to see him do well. I want to see Leonard Fournette do well. I want to see Rob Gronkowski do well. And no. Like, they just decided to bring it. Bring the house. Like, what? let Cooper Cup go. Don't even bump Cooper Cup. Like, why? What? Like, at least try to hit Cooper Cup on your way to the quarterback. What? 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 Crazy, right? Even if they held Cooper Cup at the line of scrimmage, just, put their, just bear hug him. Right, That's five yards. You still get some time run off the clock. Whatever. Whatever. It was just crazy. The whole thing was crazy. But it, it was impressive to see Leonard Fournette score that touchdown just because he looked so nimble and quick and explosive and just good at football. Like, this guy's a great football player. Wow, this is Leonard Fournette. He's a great football player. He was a great football player at LSU. He was a great football player in Jacksonville. He was a great football player in Tampa. And yet there's this whole contingent of fantasy analysts that were insisting Leonard Fournette's bad at football, that he's fat and slow and shitty, and those people should be ashamed of themselves. And then they took it a step further and claimed that Ronald Jones, of all players, was better than Leonard Fournette. I don't know how you come back from that. I just don't know how you come back from that take. I have a lot of takes, and a lot of them I've said, you know, I'm not taking an L here. And uh, we look back and say, oh, yeah, I guess, guess I'm glad I didn't take an L you know enough time goes by cash in actually take ended up being right in the long run there's there's no possibility that at some point in time we'll be looking back and go yeah those guys were right after all yeah it looks like uh, Ronald Jones is better than Fournette there's no chance that will never be redeemed Rams are a great team no weaknesses offensive line Quarterback, wide receiver core, defensive line, secondary. What more could you ask for? This team belongs in the Super Bowl facing the Kansas City Chiefs. And that we were treated to this game after this uh, failed comeback by Tom Brady. Just incredible. Incredible. When two elite quarterbacks face off, the defenses just don't matter. That's been a big takeaway from the 2021 season. And the best part is our analytics interns uncovered this over the summer. On our newsletter, we said in this four-game slate, you want to onslaught Bills Chiefs. And that's also the game to take the overs on Underdog. UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code Underworld. I have good news. The instant deposit match up to $100 is still in effect. If you had the over on Tyreek Hill, you stuck around and it finally hit. I keep coming back to the Underdog Pick'ems. Overs, unders, every week underdogfantasy.com, promo code UNDERWORLD. And we have Devin Singletary scoring another touchdown. He was inefficient, but he did get five targets. So if we're celebrating the targets first and foremost, for Elijah Mitchell, for example, then we have to continue to respect Devin Singletary and the fact that he's hyperactive in the passing game. Zach Moss didn't touch the ball. Devin Singletary has to continue to rise up in the dynasty rankings. It has to happen and Clyde Edwards Solaris can continue to fall because he's getting out touched by Jarek McKinnon. Especially in the passing game where he two targets for Edward Solaire, seven for McKinnon, even though he had the 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 weird step out where he just forgot where his feet were. He's been around the league long enough. You'd think that they would have practiced that. But you know, that that's been Jarek McKinnon's flaw all along is that he's not a great instinctual runner because he played quarterback in college, and that just he's never developed into an, into one of these running backs that always knows where to be and when to cut back and how to take advantage of the creases and crevices that a defense presents to you, and, and that's why he never ended up breaking out. But he has a role, especially as a satellite back plus, in the passing game. Even though he's going to step out of bounds once in a while, the explosiveness and the sure-handedness that he brings to the table is incredible. And he's more valuable to this team right now than Clyde Edwards-Solaire. And so Clyde Edwards-Solaire is just going to keep getting depressed. I mean, at what point do the Chiefs go back to the draft and, and, and grab someone and just say, hey, this is not working out? We've given this guy plenty of opportunities. He's not an asset in the passing game. And don't forget, this is Clyde Edwards-Solaire, a guy that caught like 60 passes in a season. we got to look that up. How many passes did Clyde edwards Hilaire catch in his final year at LSU, it was a lot, a lot. 55, 55, not quite 60. 55's close. 55's close. And the story on the Bills' side is Josh Allen. Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen. He's awesome. He's awesome. Four touchdowns and another 68 yards rushing. But can you knock it off with the designed runs? Can you knock it off? What are you doing? So many times the play calling tried, the play caller tried to lose the game for Buffalo. In these key downs and distances, they were calling Josh Allen design runs to guarantee a three-yard gain. And I'm like, what are you doing? You cannot be calling a design run. Number one, you're doing Josh Allen a disservice in that you're forcing him to run and exhaust his energy on what is a low upside play. The move is to roll him out, not as a design run, but just with a, a pass run option. But these weren't pass run options. These were design runs where he was running. It was a Josh Allen sweep, like a high school play. Fuck these high school plays. It was wasted downs. Wasted. Where it was fourth down again. And I'm like, they shouldn't even be seeing fourth down. Because if that was just a a standard pass play, Josh Allen could find someone, probably Gabriel Davis, and if he's not there, then he can pull it down and run. I mean, his ability to avoid tackles in the backfield was epic, epic, epic. How is he doing this? How is he so nimble at that size? And it was like a video game. It was like Madden. He was just backing up, moving forward, moving to the side, and no one could touch him. It was so impressive. You walked away from that game thinking, oh my god, Josh Allen. Oh my god, Josh Allen. Oh my god. Oh my god. Stop calling designed runs that are only going to get him hurt, sap his energy, and not give him the option of throwing the ball downfield. If you just drop him back, there's Gabe Davis getting wide open for a touchdown. So Josh Allen has to then throw a 30-yard strike on fourth down because that's the position the play callers put him in time and time again. And then he had to bail out the offensive coordinator. Just call pass plays. Don't call fucking run plays. And don't call design run plays to the quarterback. If Josh Allen doesn't see it, he'll pull it down. Don't worry. Stupid. See, that was worse, right? So with Tampa, they made mistakes. The all-out blitz was worse than Leonard Fournette not sliding at the one-foot line. The Bills consistently calling these designed runs was worse than failing to call a squib kick on that. I mean, had they squibbed it, they would have won. They just needed to squib it and get the clock started, and then that's one less play. That's the reason why, if you're Leonard Fournette... You really should have gone down at the one foot line. That's less plays. They can't come down and score. They just needed a field goal. It's two plays. You needed a squib kick to drain just those precious seconds. And the announcers in the broadcast booth alluded to this. They talked about it before it happened. They were like, this is going to be a squib kick, of course. Duh. And then they don't. And it's like, well, if you're not going to squib it, at least pop it up and just tell the kicker, listen, just... Get it up in the air. Do not let it get to the goal line. Right? Let it put it up in the air inside the twenty. But don't kick it down to the goal line and just let let it go into the end zone. It's, what? Those are precious seconds. How is this not something they practice? They're working on these things all summer. How is that not something they, they, they worked on? You know that Belichick would have worked on that. They would have popped it up or squibbed it. And then bada bing, bada boom. That's what happens when you have Tyree kill. He's just Right? Tyree Kill, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. That's what happens. I mean I was there a doubt? Right? Once once they got that first that, that first chunk, I was like, oh, they're definitely getting the next chunk. Oh, it's over. Oh, it's over. This game's over. Chiefs win. And then that's what happened. I mean, if you're Josh Allen, it's like they had no time left. I just had one of the the incredible touchdown strikes in NFL playoff history. I deserve to win here. And the Bills did deserve to win. The Bills are a better team. The Bills came into the playoffs as the best team in the league, the best all-around team, fewest weaknesses. That slight home field advantage was the difference, and that was it. Gabriel Davis, Gabriel Davis, Gabriel Davis, Gabriel Davis had his chase Claypool for a touchdown game. It's just a shame it didn't come during the fantasy season. It's kind of a shame. That when we go back and look at all these stats, he was the wide receiver X and the wide receiver Y and the wide receiver Z last three years. This game isn't going to count. It's not going to count, unfortunately. But what Gabriel Davis was showing you was incredible footwork, I mean, juking defensive backs out of their shoes, incredible hands. It's incredible everything. Not really yards after the catch, but everything else. That's the kind of player he is. He's an outside clasher with... Separation ability. It's, it's very. It's a fascinating profile for a day three pick that wasn't super athletic coming out of college, wasn't super dominant, but was good. Good, not great, across the board as a prospect. And he's been developing. He clearly has that thing that Rick Spielman talked about—that he's coachable, that he has the work ethic. That if you take that clay, that mound of clay of a player with size. And some explosiveness. You drop him in the NFL with a, a willingness to work and be coached, and the right quarterback, right? The right quarterback, he can ascend. And it's just very cool. It's very cool to see Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs. None of them were day one or day two picks. These were all late round guys. That's cool. That's just cool to me. These were all self-made wide receivers. It's 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 awesome and. Shame on the Bills for parking Gabriel Davis behind Emmanuel Sanders all year. This is what we talk about. This veteran deference can lead teams to losing games. I bet some of the games they lost during the regular season were because they started Sanders over Davis. That had they started Davis, they would have won the game. And then maybe that would have made the difference with the home field advantage, and then those three points would have been the reason why they won in Buffalo. Gabriel Davis's dynasty value is going to spike after this. It's going to happen. You want him. I was thinking about it. I had just drafted him in a mock draft before this game, and I was like, wow, I'm really glad I got Gabriel Davis in this meaningless mock where my wide receiver core is Davis, Godwin, Deontay Johnson, and Michael Thomas. After drafting running back with my first two picks, that's working out well. That's working out well in this mock that doesn't matter and I'll never look at again. Whew. He's he's going to be a player we want. I don't think I'll be drafting him in startups. I just can't see it. It's going to be it's it's tough. It's tough to justify drafting a Gabriel Davis coming off this type of wow factor performance on an island game with all eyes on him. The vividness factor, the vividness bias so strong. He's going to move way up in Dynasty. He's going to get drafted pretty high, probably too high, based on all of his peripheral metrics and his draft capital and just his, his overarching Dynasty trajectory. I saw Peter Howard come out right after he scores his fourth touchdown. Peter Howard's like, sell in Dynasty. I'm like, oh, man, you're braver than I am, Pete. That was some balls, buddy. You have to respect that. I wouldn't call him a sell. I would say that he is a hold. And probably someone that you're not going to be able to get in a startup. And it can't hurt to put him on the block if you have him. It can't hurt. It can't hurt. But in seasonal leagues, he's worth drafting. And I don't even know what his ADP is going to be. I don't care. I don't care. Because we learned our lesson. We learned our lesson last year. The two wide receivers I thought had the most broken ADPs were Mike Evans and Gabriel Davis. Because I was like, it doesn't make sense. Mike Evans' target share and air yard share craters. And he loses less than a round of ADP the following season. And Antonio Brown is healthy to begin the year. So is Gronkowski. So is Godwin. This doesn't make sense. This Mike Evans ADP doesn't make sense. This is a lesson we learned. It actually did make sense because you just want pieces of the best passing game. And ADP almost doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. The underlying metrics don't really matter. Is this guy starting? In the Tom Brady offense. Is he a red zone weapon? Yeah. Are they going to score a ton of points in Tampa? Yeah. Does that mean that Mike Evans is definitely going to have double-digit touchdowns? Yes. Just get that guy. On principle, it doesn't matter. Don't dig too deep on a Mike Evans. You just want to stay high level and just know you want exposure to the Tom Brady offense. Yes, Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski were better values on draft day. That's true regardless of how it ended up working out, but you still wanted everything. You wanted all of it. You wanted Evans. You wanted Godwin. You wanted Brown, Gronk, Fournette, everybody. And the same was true with Buffalo. We knew Buffalo was fast-paced. We knew Buffalo was going to be prolific. And even though Gabriel Davis was technically their number four wide receiver, it didn't matter. You knew there was going to be turnover in this passing game. You knew that there were going to be injuries to wide receivers. You knew that one of the starting wide receivers was 33 years old, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, also in his 30s. Why not take the young playmaking wide receiver that you at least knew was getting targets in the red zone? It felt like he was overvalued in the 10th round. Like, this is too early for a guy that's a number four receiver. This is dumb, but it didn't matter. You wanted Diggs, you wanted Davis you wanted Sanders, you wanted Beasley, you wanted Knox, you wanted just everybody, you wanted Singletary, you wanted everyone, everyone. Because there's so many more points scored in an up-tempo, prolific offense. The pie is so much greater in Buffalo and in Tampa than it is in other teams. So why are you even playing this game? Why are you even trying to talk yourself into a Jets receiver when you can just have Gabriel Davis? You can have a piece of the Buffalo offense. So this is a lesson learned. You're going to see this reflected in our cheat sheet in 2022 and in our analysis. Like just say no to these Allen Robinson situations where, yes, we love this player. And you can certainly hold him in dynasty and, and, and try to stomach whatever season he has. But in seasonal leagues, you can just say no. You can just not draft that guy. It's easy. I just dropped a video on YouTube. What happened to Allen Robinson in 2021? Just an eight-minute deep dive on the Allen Robinson metrics, what happened to him, and actually compared him to Mike Evans. And also talked about Darnell Mooney. So just go to YouTube, type in Allen Robinson, player profiler, you'll see the video. It's not going to get better than this. That's the bummer, is that next week it, it could be two blowouts. I wouldn't be surprised. Rams win by 20, Chiefs win by 20. Wouldn't be surprised. This might we might look back and go it was that it was that Sunday. It was that we had that Sunday everybody. That's what we can look back on and say hey, that was something, wasn't it? It really was. Oh, my God, Josh Allen. Oh, my God, Josh Allen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.